All right, thanks for coming out listening to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you need to know more about that company, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. My co-host today is Brad Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. If you want to know more about that, you can go visit MuskieMayhemTackle.com. And our guest today is Matt Seifert, Muskie Mercenary Guide Service out of Minnesota. We haven't talked to Matt since episode 73 late last August. So we, uh, for new guests, we're going to have, um, you know, new listeners. We picked up probably, I don't know, maybe like one or two new listeners since then. I know we're setting the bar pretty high, but, uh, we've got a couple of new listeners since then. And we're going to have Matt just kind of give a brief rundown of him. So you kind of know what's up. If you want to know more about Matt or you like what he brings to the podcast, as most of our most of the people that listen seem to want to hear more from him. So go check out episode 73, and then, I don't know, he's probably on a couple other times. I don't know. How many times have we talked to Matt, Brad, 12, 13? Well, the, the beauty of it is, is that Matt spends a lot of time here at my house, and he guides out here by me, guides out Vermilion. He's all kind of all over. I mean, he'll hit up uh, Leech Lake and a bunch of other lakes throughout the state of Minnesota. So, you know, Matt's a good friend, and he spends a lot of time here at my place while during the guidance season. So, you know, he gets kind of included on a few podcasts here and there. The other good thing about Matt is when he's on, he makes us seem really smart. Like, we have this very scientific-type podcast because he always brings some sort of knowledge to the podcast, which when it's just you and me, it's just not, I mean, it's just not that great, let's be real. Well, there's maybe some truth to that. You know, one of the things that I would say about Matt, he brings a lot to the table when it comes to electronics. And I can honestly say he has improved my electronics game. So, I mean, just that alone, I know tonight's podcast is going to go right into some electronics. And for those of you out there that are listening, I mean, definitely Matt is a source to be able to get some of that information. Yeah, I would say he's like a resident hummingbird expert. Is that what we would call him? Absolutely. I mean, he's sitting here chuckling, but <laughs> at the end of the day, I mean, I can honestly say this probably five years ago, okay? I had side imaging. Man, I'm, I'm going to go back to, say, 06. I had it side imaging in my boat, and I didn't even utilize it, Jeff. I mean, I did here and there, and I'm like, yeah, it's okay. But honestly, I really don't see a necessary necessary evil to this whole deal right i'm gonna say five six years ago i've always known matt i mean i've known matt for probably 10 years but i actually hired him and the reason i hired him was plain and simple to learn more about side imaging and he gave it to me you know the the beauty of it and and our friendship kind of grew from there so definitely somebody i would say the guru if you will Definitely has changed the opinion of side imaging for multiple people, not only myself, but multiple people out there that have booked him, fished with him, um, guys that guide with him. Definitely has made a huge difference. Yeah, that's a fact. And like I said, if you want a bunch more of that talk, go listen to any episode that we have Matt on or the other ones with Matt Cook, too, from direct from Hummingbird. If you want to know more about electronics, check out any of those episodes. I would imagine, like Brad said, we're going to. We're going to go down that alley because that's something that we always do on here. And, and quite honestly, Brad, we haven't really gone down that alley in a while. It's been, I don't even know how long it's been. It's probably since the last time we talked to Matt that we've really talked about electronics specifically and got more in-depth into it. Yeah, there's some truth to that. You know, one of the, the topics that I would like to touch on, and I know both Matt and I got to run the 360s this past year, 360 Mega. Definitely something worthy of talking about. Um, I think maybe we should try to pick up on some of that right away. I agree. Oh, no, you guys are making me blush here. I don't know if I'm that good, but <laughs> I well, try. We just, we just wanted to make you me. feel good, that's all. That's nice, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's going to keep it toned down just a little bit here, Jeff, but ultimately, I, and I'm not exaggerating by any factor, he is a guy that will make a difference, especially, I mean, you go book him. And take a look at that, go out there, fish with them, ask them the questions, and he elevates your game on the water when it comes to electronics. That's all I can really truly say. It's pretty fun. I like it a lot. It's amazing the technology we have now compared to what we had 
like in 06 when it came out. You know, I didn't really look at mine either. And uh, after being on the water every day, you start noticing it, get a couple more graphs, upgrade every year, and all of a sudden you have a screen solely donated to just side imaging. And what you learn is amazing. And it's just progressed so much over the years what the quality is on the side imaging. I run Hummingbird, so the mega imaging is my favorite. Um, I've used all the other brands. That's why I run Hummingbird is because of the perfect picture. So, but yeah, just the utilization of it in the boat is so many, gives you so many options. Fish can't hide anymore. It's so fun. Um, they see right from the surface down to whatever depth. I wish they could see 500 feet, but <laughs> <laughs> then it might be too easy. So before we jump too far into electronics and I, that will definitely go down that alley in a minute. What's going on uh, with Muskie Mayhem Tackle this week? You know, we're just kind of in that summer mode almost already, you know? I mean, here we are. It's April. We're just kind of working away, filling orders. For the most part, it's uh, starting to quiet down and going into the normal season. So, you know, check us out. You can look at our website, um, com, or you can check us out both on uh, Facebook as well as Instagram. And then the, the last part, I guess, you could go check out some of our pro staff profiles that we've just added on uh, YouTube over the last couple months or so. That's about all I can really say at this point. Um, we're going to be working on some new products this year, like we always do. Just can't say if they're going to be released at the end of the year, but hey, we're always looking and trying to innovate. Yeah, that's for sure. New products. I'm always, I always like new products. It's always fun. Seems like uh, lately... There hasn't been, I mean, you guys have come out with some new products and they're definitely going to be cool and I'm anxious to see what guys do with them this year, but it seems like the musky industry in, as a whole has gotten a little bit, uh, I don't know, almost like stale for a couple of years here. Nothing, there's nothing like, there's not, like, there's always those years where there's like a pile of baits that come out and it seems like lately there just hasn't really been that. Well, I, I don't know what the rest of the industry is doing because I really don't care, but, uh, Honestly, Jeff, I mean, we came out with the trigger and we came out with the detonator. And I, I'll just tell you that I'm super, super excited about both of those products. And number one, in my mind, is the new detonator. I, I can't wait to be able to fish that this season. I'm super, super stoked about that. You know, I look at it this way. I'm looking out the windshield. I don't care about the rearview mirror. And so, you know, I've got some other ideas up my sleeve and I'm going to be working on it. You know, there's been some really cool stuff that, that's taken place in the last 12 months. Yeah, I'm excited for the detonator, too. Really excited. It was so amazing last fall. I can't wait to have it all year. I'm well, anxious to see it. I want I want to see guys throwing that thing on opening day, and especially with the way that we've had the weather lately. It's going to be, I think it could be potentially one of those opening days that are different, much different than what we've seen in years past, I'm guessing. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. I don't know where this... I think we had a goal to talk about trolling and stuff this podcast. This might take a quick turn, but uh, not to get too far off the subject. But opening day is going to be crazy. I remember, and I think most guys will remember, uh, 2012. So in Minnesota, we saw most of our lakes crash in around 2009. Um, granted, we still have good fishing here. Um, some of the best for big fish. But 2012, I mean, three years after Vermilion kind of numbers dropped in half two years after Malax crashed hard or i'm sorry five years after Malax crashed hard 2012 there was so many muskies caught i don't know if you guys remember but uh 2012 i think ice out i think ice out on vermilion was april it was early it's the num. i think it's the number one record it's april 1st or i'm sorry maybe yeah april 1st or april 4th something like that i don't know it was the warmest spring in my whole life of muskie fishing. Uh, 2012 was the warmest. And I went to Plantagenet that year for opener. We caught, we were catching fish on supermodels in two feet of water. The fish had already fed in the open water, come in for the summer peak, which is normally the second week of July. They were there opening day. And I remember it was, that was a wild weekend. We caught 54 and a half, or 53 and a half. 47 a 42 and lost like a 56 incher it was wild and we were there for a day and a half so i'm pretty excited and i remember there was guys friends of mine on vermilion that tried trolling open water opening day and 
they caught fish, multiple fish opening day. Yeah, the uniqueness to that, I would say that 2012 was like that. I would also say, I think 05, 06, and maybe even 07 were kind of in that same realm as well. And like, I think it was 06 and 07. Yeah, I, Matt, Matt's talking about that, and I remember that that year, but I also remember it happening, you know, in 06, 07, where literally right out of the gate, we were throwing big blades and we were scoring giant fish. And it was really strange, Jeff. I, I remember these fish were sitting, like he just said, the summer peak type bite. They were sitting on structure that we could access with casting and it started right out of the gate. So I don't know. It, it's really interesting. We're about two weeks ahead of schedule on ice out right now here in Minnesota. Are we going to see that again? I sure hope we do. Yeah, all bets are off, obviously, until look at the last few years. We had hope a couple of these last couple of years, and then May was so cold, just was awful. It actually makes the fishing. The more I do this, the more I realize a nice, steady, slow warm-up is the best thing we can have, especially if it's an early, steady warm-up. Do you feel the same way in Wisconsin, Jeff? Yeah, I do. Unfortunately, we haven't seen it in, I don't know, I can't remember 2012 or 13 or whatever, <laughs> whenever it was. Seems like it's been forever since we've had what you'd get, what you'd consider a normal uh, spring around here. It seems like the last few years, or most, the majority of the last few years, the ice comes off like just before we'll call our our walleye opener. It's just our game fish opener or our southern opener. It's a little bit, you know, screwed up here in Wisconsin, but. Uh, it comes off right before then, and then, uh, you know, we get about, I don't know, like two, three weeks of, like, spring, and then all of a sudden it turns into 90 degrees and it's summer. So it'll be interesting to see if that pad, you know, if we get that pattern. But as of right now, the ice is all off early. So I'm hopeful that it'll be a good season because of that. I'd like to see a normal a normal year versus what we've been dealing with the last, I don't know how many years, quite a few. Yeah, it's been three now that have been a little off on the spring pattern early warm-ups with nasty cold fronts afterwards. So yeah. I'm hoping it stays warm. It should be an amazing year, really. I can't believe you can't remember 2012. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like we caught 42 over 50 that year. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember 2012. 2000 that was my year. best year. I think I had an 08 or an 09 Ranger the season after that, whatever season that would have been. So it was either 09 or 10. One of those seasons was the one I can remember the most. I can't remember the day of it or which exact season it was, but I remember the season well. It was most that was the best season I ever had. I, uh, it seemed like every time we went out, we put two in the two in the net. It didn't matter if we were out for two hours or you know four hours or five hours or eight hours or whatever. It seemed like there was always two, and if we stayed out longer, there'd just be more. It was ridiculous. Oh, that's awesome. So, I, is your ice out early as well, Jeff, or no? Yeah, everything's early right now. It's, I mean, it's all pretty early. I think southern Wisconsin was early, but I don't know it was as early as northern Wisconsin because I was in southern Wisconsin this last week, Brad. I, the Muscalunch chapter of Wisconsin, they, um, I, I donate to them, I think almost every single year, or it's the Milwaukee chapter of Muskie's Inc., one of them. And then, uh, the money that we donate goes to stocking. I've done it for, uh, at, a good handful of clubs we've donated money to stocking. And then a lot of times they have me come down and, and, uh, I, I help stock. So this, this year, Alexis and I went down to help, help that club stock. And, uh, so I got to talk to those guys and they were telling me that it, it was earlier ice off, but not as early as Northern Wisconsin, Northern Wisconsin. It's usually never off by now. And all those lakes are already ice free and they have been for probably a week, week and a half already. So yeah, it's early right. and you know, but, uh, yeah, like I said, it was good. I mean, on, uh, so it was Monday, I got to get out in the boat and put some little muskies in the, in the, uh, Okachi this time they stocked Pewaukee and, and Okachi down there. And then, uh, I think also this year, the Madison, um, Madison Milwaukee Zinc chapter, they lost their fundraiser for, um, everything going on. They didn't have their fundraiser again for the second year. So they're looking to make up, um, you know, basically the monetary losses of the fundraiser, they didn't lose it completely, but it's not nearly as successful as their in-person deal. And so I cut them a check as well for, you know, stocking down there in Madison. So I don't, they, I don't know if they did their stocking yet or not, but 
So we're doing the best we can to try to help offset stocking throughout the state of Wisconsin. And, you know, we've helped out a few other states as well, too, just because uh, that's the future. I mean, honestly, the majority of our of our uh, fisheries these days, if we don't stock them, they're, they're going to be a, a fraction of what they are right now. I mean, clearly you guys know about it over there in, in Minnesota. We know what over here in Wisconsin. We only, Absolutely. Yeah, we only have to look at, you know, Vermilion and, and um, Malax as, you know, stories over in Minnesota. So you guys ever, you know, any, I guess my long, my long story short is I realize how important stocking is. So we try to help out whenever we can, because I mean, fortunately we've been, you know, busy selling stuff. And so I don't take any paychecks from the business so I can afford to, to help out when, when I can, obviously we can't do it for every single club, but we try to help out where and when we can, because that, like I said, that's the future. If we stop stocking muskies, whether it be clubs or the DNR or whoever, uh, I mean, our kids future of musky fishing or anybody's future of musky fishing isn't going to be nearly as good as today. You can talk about how there was more big fish back whenever, <laughs> but there's going to be way less fish if that ever comes crashing down. Yeah. Good for you, man. That's great. That's a fact The it's all coming to light now too. In every state that these stock fish just don't reproduce. When you stop stocking them, the natural fish reproduce stock fish do not reproduce. I mean, everyone thought they would, it seems natural that they would, but they don't. I mean, it's pretty much one in 10,000 reproduced. It just doesn't happen. So yeah, well, I, we have, have to stock the lake. From what I understand is they don't always necessarily even know where they'll go through the motions, but they don't necessarily know where the best habitat is or, or whatever to do, to do their deal when they're stocked muskies. It's weird. You wouldn't think that'd be a problem, but apparently yeah, it is. But if you look at the history, of a lot of these musky lakes too, I mean, you put a dam in them. A lot of these lakes that the Minnesota DNR stocks in were natural musky lakes. They put a dam in it, raised the lake one foot and then fish never reproduced again. I think it's such a fragile thing. I think Miltona used to have muskies in it, right? Yeah, they dammed that up. That was ruined. Um, Vermilion had muskies in it. They dammed that up. That was gone. Yeah, wild how it seems like those Mississippi Leech Lake strain, the, the river fish seem to do okay. And Cass and Winnie. Winnie was a small little lake they dammed up and actually got better then. Um, but that's a pretty rare case, I think. Yeah. But yeah, it's pretty wild. Well, all those leech lakers that they put in in, in the Madison in, uh, area lakes, uh, that whole chain, they don't reproduce anything down there. I mean, it's all it's all dependent upon club stocking and, and DNR stocking. And, and for you know, for as long as I can continue to support the stocking, I'm going to do it because it's good for, like, A, I'm a muskie fisherman. I want to catch muskies, and that's great. B, I care about what my, you know, what, what the future is like for my kids to be able to go muskie fishing. I have at least two of them that have some interest, whether they keep that interest, I have no idea. And then B, it's just good for business, right? I mean, more muskies in lakes means more anglers, which means hopefully more guys catching them, which means they need more lures, right? I mean, it only makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Vicious circle. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. But it's also, you know, in a sense, I mean, we're helping out the business, but we're also helping out the fisheries that I get to, I get to occasionally use. I don't, you know, I help out, uh, seems like Southern Wisconsin quite a bit. And then, and we've done some Northern Wisconsin and I think we've also done some in Illinois, but, um, you know, I get to use me, some of those fisheries, but not all of them. Let me ask you this. What, what kind of fish were you stocking this week? Uh, those are just regular, you know, Wisconsin barred muskies. If you look at them right now in pictures, they look like spotted muskies, but they, they just get kind of more clear, I guess, look to them once they're done. Uh, the northern Wisconsin muskies tend to be like greener and darker, but I think that might just be habitat. Whereas these down that we do a lot in the southern state, you know, part of the state, like I said, they they always look they always look spotted, and they're never. That's just they don't they don't keep the spots, so they're just regular. They call them you know Wisconsin strained muskies. I guess they're from Gallons Fish Farm mostly, and uh, of course, like anything, if you read on the internet, there's guys that are going to tell you that those suck and whatever, but. Whatever, a muskie that grows to 40 inches or 45 inches is better than no muskie at all. I would agree with that, Jeff. Um, so you're definitely donating to this, and you're actually uh, making a difference. How can others get involved in that whole deal? We work with specific clubs. You know, there's certain clubs that have come to us. Well, it. I'll, okay, so I'll, I'll go... 
I'll go way back. There was our very first muskie show we did in Milwaukee. Doug, that used to own the show, he gave me a good deal on a booth. And so I was like, okay, because you gave me a deal on a booth, it was just a crappy location, whatever. I'm sure nobody just wanted the booth, but whatever. I was just happy to be in the show, the very first show we were ever at. Our, our booth was just as crappy, so we deserved to be in the, in the back. But uh, he he did that, and then I, I, I was like, well, I want to uh, I want to donate to a muskie club. And so I had one of the Milwaukee clubs actually come they they approached me and they're like, "Hey, would you be willing to, you know, make a donation to our club?" And this was Milwaukee chapter of Muskie's Inc. And most of the guys I dealt with have since moved to uh, Muskie chapter of Wisconsin. So, anyways, I uh, I donated to them, but I I gave it under one condition. I said I don't want this to be used for, you know, like whatever. I don't want to use for banquet. Uh, raffle prizes, nothing. Like I literally want this money to be earmarked for stocking. And they're like, yeah, no problem. We'll invite you down. You can, you know, basically see your funds, funds at work. So I don't know. I think that was like a, maybe a couple hundred dollar donation with, which, you know, musky stocking wise, that's only going to put like 20 muskies in the, in the lake. I think they're roughly about 10 bucks a pop. So ever, ever since then for the Milwaukee show, we've always donated a portion of our sales to that to one of those clubs so so basically almost since the existence of of my business we've helped out that club for sure well then i've since had other clubs ask me majority of them are wisconsin based but you know if if we could do this with minnesota ones and like i said i'm not opening the door where i can afford to you know give out funds to every single place but i try to give out funds to as many places again conditionally it needs to be used for stocking and so we've had, uh, I know like the Shawano figure eight club, I donated, uh, I donated to them. And like I said, now Madison, they've asked me the last two years, they didn't actually ask me, I volunteered like, so I, I kind of talked about their fundraising school that was canceled last year. So Jeff had Jeff Hansen from Madison Muskie guide service. He had asked me, or he was talking about it. And I said, Oh, well that's stuff that I like to do. Like, I mean, <laughs> we've, we've continued to, I guess, shorten our, uh, or, uh, lessen our, our advertising budget and so some of the savings from there i'm like i said i'm more than willing to donate to these clubs and so that's kind of how it got started so I, for that one it's the uh, madison uh chapter of muskies inc then i've done uh, wausau chapter of muskies inc and we've done milwaukee chapter of muskies inc and we've done musclunge club of wisconsin and then uh, i i've never formally donated to some of the other clubs around here but we you know we'll donate uh, banquet stuff for them. And I don't know how they use those funds. I hope for stocking, but those I don't like when I donate baits and stuff, I don't specifically make it for stocking. But when we actually donate a check, I require it be used for stocking because like I said, selfishly, I mean, it's like I said, it's great for, it's great for, to give back to the resource. It's also great for me as a muskie angler and all the other muskie anglers out there, but selfishly, it's also good for business. Like as I, I guess spelled it out before. I mean, if it's like you said, it's a vicious circle, Brad. Yeah, it is a vicious circle, but it's good though that people so people can go to Muskie Zinc and donate there. Yeah, they make a difference. Yeah, and then when you're at the deal this past week, I had one of the other uh, vendors ask me like, how, you know, how come more people don't donate to this? And I'm like, well, I honestly don't know. And cause like I said, it's good for business, but I, he had, he had kicked around the idea of potentially having like, I don't know, like a donation bowl at your booth where you could donate there for musky stocking. And I'm like, I don't know the legalities of it yet. And that would be something I'd want to look into, but certainly it's something to kick around the idea of doing it at these musky expos, you know, even if it's just put a dollar in the bowl with a chance to win a bait or something and just take that money to put towards stocking because like i said i mean eventually that I, I don't know what happens with the dnr and their funds but i mean some of it's going to eventually still be put onto us yeah people need to realize i mean if you don't put them in you're not going to catch them so we've all come into this and made a living the three of us talking here have all made a living on these fish and it was all due to some amazing guys that started muskies and some amazing dnr guys that believed in stocking muskies to fix panfish and walleye populations in lakes and i don't know i think sometimes i think muskie zinc should take a little bit more of a stand sometimes too on some of that stuff that's another subject altogether but i think 
a few of those guys that helped start Musky Zinc might be a little bit of a shame right now. The, what you said, putting money in a bucket when somebody comes in the show. I mean, there should be musky stocking buckets everywhere. I mean, there should you know, be. They're worried about taking a, taking a kid fishing or fixing a dock at the local fishing pond. Well, they should be worried about putting muskies in the lake is what I think. But maybe I'm a little biased, but yeah. I've seen lakes crash and it's, it's to get them back. Is, if the Minnesota DNR isn't going to raise 100,000 fingerlings a year anymore, we're screwed. So we raise 28,000 a year now. Well, that's a quarter of the fish we used to get. So there's a quarter of fish to catch. That's the end of the story. So I'm with you on that. The stocking is key. Absolutely. And I'm not trying to say that the, the, the DNRs in the various states don't do a good job also. I know Wisconsin, you know, they do what they can. The uh, Green Bay still gets them a lot. And I know Madison still gets DNR stockings. There's a pile of lakes up north that still get them on an every every other year basis and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not trying to say that it's all in the DNR or that they're doing a bad job. That's not That's not it at all. I'm just saying it's always good. Like if the DNR will allow you to put more muskies, more is always better, right? Yeah, more is always better, Jeff. Yes. <laughs> well, there's probably a, I'm sure we could probably come up with a couple of things that aren't. You know, more isn't always better, but yes, in in this, the case of muskies, Brad, more is always better. Yeah, agreed. So, anyways, and I don't. I mean, I didn't mean to go down the whole road of stocking. That's what I did this past week, and like I said, we're always pretty proud of it of it because. But I I I do it, but. But I, like I said, it's all because of our customers. If if our business wasn't selling fishing lures, I wouldn't be able to do it. It's, I mean, it's not necessarily out of the goodness of my heart. Sure, I could be like a, a different business owner if I wanted to and be like, okay, well, forget the musky stocking. I'm going to put the money in my pocket. I could, but that's that's not as good for business for me. And, and like I said, I, as a musky angler, I'm glad I can do it because I want to go out and catch those muskies the same as I want other people to catch them. Absolutely, Jeff. I mean, I- that's the difference. I mean, there's no question in my mind anyway, that team Rhino outdoors is put back into the world of muskies. And that's what you're talking about. And I think that's huge. Yeah. And I don't want to pat myself on the back too much. Like it's, like I said, it's also selfishly cause I'm hoping that more people are in the sport and then they buy more fishing lures. And like, again, we've, we've talked about that just before. So I, I mean, Brad, ultimately when I came into this business, I didn't just come in here because I wanted to. I wanted to sell fishing lures to try to make a living selling fishing lures. I was a musky angler. That's what I did. I was passionate about muskies. I was passionate about the baits. I was passionate about, you know, the custom color deal that we did. This is stuff that I've been doing for years and years and years. So, you know, for me, I'm a musky angler. I'm not the greatest musky angler. Like I'm not. I'm not a guide. I don't have all the answers. I I go out. And I get skunked. But I'm ultimately I'm still passionate about the fisheries. I'm still passionate about the fish, the future of muskies, and I want to do whatever I can to ensure that the future of muskies is as good as I can make it. You know, I mean, like I said, ultimately we still have bills to pay and stuff, so we can't give all of our money away. But we, I, I mean, we do, we do what we try to, you know, what we can. Yeah, I hear you. Hopefully, it'll it'll keep getting better. If everybody can do their part, it'll be good. Hopefully, and I don't want to paint a grim picture. I mean, that's certainly not it. I mean, there's plenty of muskies to be caught right now, but. You know, if we don't, like you said, Matt, if yeah, there is, but everybody needs to aware, be aware that we have a very fragile resource. One of the most fragile there is. We do. And if it goes, you know, if it goes away, it's not like rebuilding a, uh, a, a whatever, a perch fishery or a crappie fishery where it's all cyclical, where it can be bad for two years or three years. And then next thing you know, it'll boom. If you have a crash in a musky fishing, you know, in a musky, um, fishery, it's going to be 10, 15 years before it's back to, you know, acceptable, I guess I would say would be the answer. Yeah. I mean, it's math, right? They live 13 to 18 years. So if you put them in 10 years later, you have good fishing. And then six years later, you don't have any fishing. If you don't keep putting them in, people think it's science. It's not science at all. It's math. You put them in and then they die. 16 years later, like every single lake that's ever been stocked, 16 years later, it crashes. So the math is there. Everybody can look at the math. It's a no-brainer. Stock them, and you catch them. Keep stocking them, you keep catching them. Correct. It's not selfish if you're want to. If you helping stock fish, because everyone's going to catch them, because we all let them go. That's the cool part. Yes, I agree. And so 
I was concerned a lot about the Green Bay muskie fishery because I fished it a lot, and then all of a sudden VHS showed up, and there was, I don't know how many year classes missing. Fortunately, it doesn't appear as though that was completely devastating. Maybe Green Bay had too many fish in it at one point, or maybe they were in very catchable locations, so it seemed like they did because back in the day having a, I don't know, a two to five fish day on Green Bay wasn't incredibly unheard of. In fact, it was, you heard of 16 and 18 fish days. I mean, it was that ridiculous. So, um, I don't know that I ever got to experience that on Green Bay. I think nine or 10 was the most we ever did. But anyways, it, uh, it, it appears to have made it through and, you know, I don't want to see what's happened to Mille Lacs happen to any, I don't want to see it. I didn't want to see it happen to Mille Lacs. I don't want to see it happen to any other fisheries either. It's, it's sad to say this, to say the least. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's for sure, Jeff. I mean, I, I think uh, nobody out there would disagree with you. So, I don't know. I think what we should do... We is, talked about stocking them. Let's talk about catching them. Yeah, let's talk about catching them. Let's <laughs> talk about electronics. Let's talk about Matt Seifert. I was going to say, let's talk about Matt Seifert first. That was the so, uh, that was the goal. I guess the stocking, the stocking rant here, Brad, will take up usually our time where we just BS about nonsense. But... um. Anyways, Matt, Matt hasn't been on the podcast in a while. For the two new listeners that we picked up since August, you, Matt, you want to talk a little bit about what you got going on over there, You know what you're up to, what you do, who you are, and then uh, you know if somebody wants to get in touch with you for, for a guide trip this year, how do they go about doing that too? Well, I was so booked the last few years, I didn't really have any openings. Um, I'm sure some guys remember that from the previous podcast, but um, I've had a few older clients pass away and I've had some other clients a little bit off with the whole COVID thing. So, and with the, uh, airline restrictions, I've lost uh, quite a few days to, to all my European clients, my Swedish, English, and, uh, Germany clients. So I have quite a few openings actually right now. I have openings about a week every month right now open on Vermilion leech and miltona west battle so if anybody wants to reach out to me they can uh, my cell is 651-357-8709 i'm also on facebook and on instagram i'm matt seaford on facebook and musky mercenary guide service on instagram i'm gonna i'm gonna warn everybody matt is not the best <laughs> about answering phone calls okay so yeah, I love the guy to death, but here's the deal. Maybe text him and he will reach back to you. Okay. That that's the best recommendation I can give. Yeah. I got a little, so I got so busy for the last few years. I got rid of my website. I don't have a voicemail on my phone. <laughs> so text is definitely the best or Facebook messenger seems to work good too. It might take me a couple of days to get back to you, but I will get back to you hopefully sooner than later. So I'm trying to fill up my calendar here. So I can't, take any gambles this year last year i waited and waited for the airports to open and everything else and it was a disaster so i have openings this year i'm gonna go ahead and book them those guys might come so i can maybe squeeze everybody in but for now i do have openings so let me know i'll be on a leech a lot this year too i had a blast on leech last year that was really fun fishing leech um it was a side imaging dream come true with fishing all that sand so really a blast but yeah that's about it. I mean, I don't have a website anymore, so maybe I'll get one, but I don't, I don't think so. So just text me. We'll then, figure it out. You know, if anybody's looking, if they're running Hummingbird Electronics and they're looking even just to get a day on the water as a tutorial to run, to figure out that stuff, I mean, I don't think we can advocate enough for uh, for Matt's abilities with that, with just teaching electronics. I mean, if you're just looking to learn for a day, there you go. Yeah, I actually had a few guys reach out for me from the, I think one of the, I don't know. It was one of the really early podcasts. I think, I don't know, six or seven or eight. I don't know what it was. Episode six, seven or eight. I don't know what, something like that. But the one we did with Matt Cook, I've had a bunch of guys reach out this year. Um, three or four guys that wanted to hire me just to do graphs. I said, well, if we're doing that, we might as well go fishing for a little bit too. But um, So we're going to hook up on Leech with those guys. They all had cabins near Leech. So yeah, it'll be I can show you how to work all your stuff and uh, even jump in your boat for a little bit too and help you with some of your settings. That's fine too. So if anybody's interested in that, I could do that. If it's convenient, if not, we can figure something out. But yeah, so anyways, that's about it. I'll be 
on the Croix in May for the Croix opener, St. Croix River. And then I'm not sure what I'm doing for opener and I haven't made my plans yet. I'm waiting for the weather to tell me where to go. I'll obviously be on Vermilion, which I am every year for the open water bite. Uh, in June, I actually have two days open for that as well right now. And then head west after that to catch some more open water bites on leach and western lakes in western Minnesota. So, yeah, and I'll be trolling for, hopefully for most of that. I'll be casting. Vermilion's been better casting open water the last couple of years, but trolling then everywhere else and some on vermilion too so matt let's get uh let's get started with a little bit of electronics talk as as it is if somebody's looking let's just kind of start super super basic for you know like a unit themselves if somebody's looking to get out and they're looking to you know just have side imaging or whatever what do you think the basic necessities they're going to need are to get themselves started with some side imaging well i used to think I grew up fishing in a 14 foot lawn. That's how I learned how to musky fish with a flasher. And I caught a bunch of muskies, but they were heavily stocked then too. <laughs> but, uh, I, I hate to be that guy, but if you really want to know what's around your boat and be truly productive, you need to have one unit solely side imaging. I mean, that one unit has to be set aside for just that purpose. So if you have good eyes or younger, get a nine incher. Uh, as you get older, you usually have more money too. Then you can work your way up to a 12 or a 15. But these young guys, there's no need for them to have a 15 incher. I mean, if they want to have one, fine, but you can get away with a nine or a 10, but I believe, I truly believe you need one or maybe buy a 15 and do a split screen. I don't know. I've never used a 15, but I run 10s and 12. I can see them just fine. And I'm 37, 38. And that's having that set aside and be able to look at it all day. It's to, I'm to the point now where I hardly even look at a depth finder anymore when that used to be my whole life. And now it's become almost unnecessary. There is certain circumstances where it's good to have it, but, um, I do have it in my boat, but the main thing I'm looking at is side imaging. I know what's happening all the time. Um, and as far as units go, I know they're hard to get right now with COVID. Boats are hard to get. Graphs are hard to get. But it depends where your price budget is. I think the Solix, if you if you like touchscreens and you like easier updates and all the fancy stuff, get the Solix. And there's even a new one out that I don't even know right now. Actually, I don't remember what it's called. But I run the Helixes. They're simple. I'm it's a working thing for me. It's like a work truck. You got, I, I'm out there every day. I want one that's simple, easy to use. The menu's simple. And I get the same picture that I get on the Solix. And I don't have fingerprints on the screen. That's why I buy Helixes. If that answers your question. Uh, yes, Matt, that answers my question. So um, I, I, you know, it's just, that's one thing I think a lot of people, you know, maybe get overwhelmed by certain things. They maybe don't even know what they need to have in order to be successful at doing it. Because I think we've mentioned on the podcast, I mean, you could still go, you know, old school style with just a, a GPS and a graph and that, that would get you through. But I mean, to truly take advantage of the new technology and add that side imaging in there, it's, it's a game changer. And I'm, I know from what I understand, talking to Brad, you guys have even played around with the 360 imaging. So, I mean, why don't you talk a little bit about that too? Cause that's, that's something that's, I mean, the world of te the world of technology, especially when it comes to fishing, just keeps advancing, and and that's the next advancement. So, why don't you talk a little bit about what your what your opening thoughts are on um, Mega three sixty? Okay, well, that's a good question. I uh, well, you know me, I always have my crappie and walleye rods in the boat too, so I'm never afraid to do that if musky fishing gets slow for a couple hours. If I have kids in the boat, so I've got to experiment with the three sixty last year fishing for all species. I, I think before we go into this, though, Jeff, in the 360 Mega, because the original 360 is not quite to the point where Mega really presents the picture. Correct. Um, so, in, not to interrupt Matt, not to interrupt you, but 360 Mega is part of that equation. Yeah, which came out last spring. And now I'm, just for, a, for everybody's sake here, they're really interested in this subject i do not have it on my front trolling motor i run a uh, 621 
Ranger, which is a deep sea multi-species boat. And when you're, we're always heading into the wind, fishing muskies and one to three foot waves sometimes. And I'm going into the wind for a good boat control. So that bounce I was afraid of, of that, that 360 um, transducer coming out of the water above my trolling motor head. So I got the universal mount. So mine is mounted in the back of the boat. Actually, I stand in the back corner of the boat and I have two graphs in front of me and then they're in front of that. So I'd say it's about a third of the way up in the boat. It's very steady. I don't get any interference in two or three foot waves. So it's, it's very nice. I, now I haven't run one in the front of the boat just for everybody that's wondering. I haven't run one in the front. I have a universal mount. It's, uh, it's a, I think it's about 200 bucks more for the universal mount. And uh, it's on a metal pole. You just loosen a uh, big nut and it swings up. You tighten it and drive off. You put it back down when you get to your next spot. Um, so of all the uses I've used it for, I guess we'll just kind of go into the educational side of this. The 360 spinning, it's a regular side imaging transducer, but it spins. So it's picking up both sides as it's been updating your graph at a 180. So each side just slowly spinning gives you a nice picture you can speed it up you can zoom in on it you can do all that stuff um first thing you need to know is if you buy it get the uh heading sensor puck it's a compass that's in your uh an additional all the hummingbirds come with a built-in uh trans gps receiver in the units now but get the external puck and then get um the upgraded external puck which has a compass in it before you mount it, make sure you don't buy any metal parts in the boat. It'll really mess it up. But what it does is if you're drifting on the screen, if your boat's drifting and it shows you pointing straight ahead on the graph, it'll show your boat icon sideways. So you're drifting, which is key with that compass. Cause as your 360 is going around, if you're, if you're sideways on the map or whatever, and you page over to something on the 360 screen and put an icon down on it, if you see a giant muskie off to your right and you're moving in a heavy wind or you're just stop the boat, you can throw that icon down and that will show on your GPS then the right position of where it was on the boat. If you don't have the, the compass in your puck, your icons on your 360 will not work. You just have to look where it is and guess at that point or go on your GPS and page over, you know, up into the right of where you are to see where it is. So that's kind of, for me, that starting point. You got to have that puck, you get your 360 and the best, use for the 360 iphone that far none i'm just being honest with everybody was crappie fishing which if you get it now that's perfect because it's crappie season unbelievable what you can do especially i got a talon last year talon down and watch these crappies swim around your boat there's no need for bobbers i mean you see where everyone's swimming you put it right in their face and they bite it it's so fun um it's the same with muskies it's the same with walleyes but the problem is as you as you progress through the year with this 360 unit, you'll see all these different scenarios. So I, I got mine a little bit late, so I didn't get to experience the crappie season until the fall crappie bite, but I started with it musky fishing. And the first thing that blew my mind was structure. You can literally buy a 360 unit, go to any lake. I mean, that you've never been to and fish a perfect weed line. And it's, this is a musky podcast. So I guess that's kind of what most people can take out of this is the most important thing. You are going to be able to fish any lake without weed icons. I mean, I, I still believe in putting icons on weed lines inside turns and points, but now you get to see them a hundred feet in front of the boat, especially moving at slow speeds. You're, you're not losing anything. You're, tr you're traveling along. You have a screen. I put a screen at my feet for it. You can put it on your dash too. It's no problem. You see this perfect weed line. You know how far away it is from the boat. And I'm running my 360 at 100 feet out, chart speed three. And I hit zoom in once. So I miss about 10 feet in front of the boat and 10 feet behind it. But I get a lot better picture of muskies and their shadows then if I see it. And there's also a look ahead feature if you're running weed line. So it's, it puts your boat towards the back of the screen. And you can see in front of you even better. Just imagine, I mean, how many times have we gone to a new lake? I know you've done it, Brad. Uh, I'm sure you've done it too, Jeff. You go to a lake and you're doing S-turns in and out of weed beds and laying icons down. That's done. You don't have to do that anymore. It's amazing what you can do. And you can tell what kind of weeds they are as you're traveling along. And if you're fishing sand flats, whatever. Uh, we were in Iowa last 
two weeks ago, right? Three weeks. Three weeks ago? No, no, tell them about that or you want me to yeah. talk about it. I mean, it, it was incredible. I mean, when we put the 360 down, <laughs> you could visually see where every one of those fish were and we could cast right to them. Done deal. And they were biting. Yeah, we were drifting, so then that's the problem with the side imaging. It's the greatest tool in the world until you drift. If you need to stop the boat, you can't see anything on your side imaging. 360 got rid of that. I mean, it's an investment, but you already have the graphs. You know, it's a little over a grand, but a lot of guys pay that for a rod and a reel. (laughs) And this will put more fish in your boat. It's amazing what it does. It's such a great thing different ways I can use it. I, I guess, how can I explain it the best to everybody? I used it lead coring walleyes, which is like a 1.8 to 2.4 mile an hour deal. Worked great. I was able to fish basins on lakes that I had never been to or fish basins in Vermilion that don't have all the rock humps marked. And it's a 30 foot basin. Most of the basins are same as Mille Lacs or most of the leech you're trolling a mud basin and all of a sudden in front of you, you see a rock pile that's not on your GPS. And I have the brand, the best newest flake master chips you can get. Well, they didn't get that rock pile on there and you got four lead core lines out. You're going to lose lead and you're going to lose four brand new crankbaits. I would have ran right over it before. And I would have been a mad scramble when I got little kids in the boat, try to get all these lines in. Well, now I just turn the boat. It's amazing. Plenty of time to see it on the 360. Turn the boat around a rock pile. It's only the little ones that aren't marked anymore. The maps are so awesome nowadays. But all these little rock piles that eat your crankbaits, they're not an issue anymore. And now you're catching walleyes around them because you're doing it right. You're running your baits right next to them. You know, you got 200 feet of lead out. It's easy to get around it. Or 150 feet of lead out. It's easy to get around a rock pile and put them right where you want them. So it increased my lead core walleye fishing immensely at 2.4 miles an hour i'm i'm a little bit faster on the trolling side than most guys but i was amazed because i was worried at trolling it wouldn't be fast enough to speed up and i didn't turn my chart speed up i left it at three and it was fine i lost about 15 feet but with 150 feet of lead behind the boat it's no problem to turn around those rock piles um i'm talking about a 15 foot lapse in front of the boat at 2.4 miles an hour so if i out 100 feet it's spinning you know, I, if I didn't see a rock pile in the next scan, I was 15 to 20 feet closer to that rock pile on the next scan as it came around on the other side of the transducer. Musky trolling, I did not use it. I have to be completely honest. I never even put it in the water. Uh, most of my, I got it at the end of June when my trolling bite was over. And I didn't put it in the water this fall because it was so nasty when I trolled this fall. It was just the worst weather ever. I was, I was just trying to stay warm, but I'm not sure if it would work well at that speed. And I don't believe it would. I, I, I truly believe that you start losing it at about three miles an hour because your chart is not able to keep up to that, meaning that you're rotating at 360. You start to kind of lose some of the visual aspects of it. So, I mean, that yeah. can be a concern. But yeah, especially in the fall. But I think in the open water in the spring, we can honestly both say that neither one of us tried it with the chart speed at, let's say, eight or six or seven. Right. Maybe it would have been way better and we could have seen muskies, maybe not bait fish at that speed, but I believe we would have seen little specks of bait fish. But our baits are behind us. We know where we're fishing when we're open water trolling. And I feel like we probably just didn't put it in out of, we're running, both of us run mass when we throw open water. So, that's uh you're already dealing with as many people as you get in the boat you got seven people in the boat and seven lines out and you can see every fish on your side imaging mostly so you got a lot of stuff to worry about but i truly believe that if you played with that chart speed i'm sure you could see a muskie on it but you're also going to see it on your side imaging right after you pass it and you still got with a mass you technically have about 100 feet of line out even though you might only have 10 feet of line out but it's way back on the board so it's also something we can maybe talk about in the future because I haven't played with it. Um, I'm excited for the new Hummingbird live mega, live mega Live imaging. So that'll be pretty cool. I mean, stick that in the front of the boat or something. Or When I'm casting, I believe I'll, I'll put my 360 in the water and put that above it on the same universal mount. 
pointing towards my client's rods in the front of the boat. And I, from the stats they're giving me, I should be able to see that both of their entire cast on my screen from when it hits the water to when they go into the figure eight. So I'm really excited for that just to talk to clients about that. I think that's more of a, to me, that's like Garmin, um, live scope. It's more of a game and there's certain aspects where it's really fun, but it's kind of like a point and shoot type thing. If you're targeting certain fish, I could see a tournament fishing for walleyes, that kind of stuff. Super fun. Uh, musky fishing. There's going to be a time and a place for it. No water for sure. Super awesome. I think there'll be lots of uses for it, but I would also just like to watch my clients cast. I'm pretty excited about that. So as, as far as the everyday use, I actually truly believe that the 360, it's nothing like a live scope or the live imaging, uh, mega live imaging thing is it's different. It's a video game versus a tool to me a little bit, but the video game can also be an amazing tool in the right cir- circumstance, I guess, if I can say that right. I've used the Garmin. I haven't used the Hummingbird, obviously. Um, I'm very excited to use it. It has a wider band and a farther band, so should be better, but I haven't used it yet, but I'm very excited to try that. But the 360 is really a fun thing. And if anybody likes to fish any other kind of species, I mean, it really shines for the walleye and crappie aspect. And for muskies, if you have, where I fish, the fish are so pressured. I don't, if I see a fish in front of the boat, we cast at it and it swims over to the side or falls the bait and it swims inside the side. Now it's over there. Well, the where I fish, if the fish is over there, that doesn't mean it's going to bite. That's for sure. What do you feel about that, Brad? I'd like to hear what your aspect is on live versus history. And history meaning 360 mega versus the live. What's your opinion on that, man? I mean, I live is cool. Don't get me wrong, but there's something to be said about history, too. Oh, history is huge. This is the best way I can explain history. This is my favorite explanation of history. So I had this old Lorenz graph for ice fishing and I loved it. And it was this little graph, but it, it was like a regular depth finder. Um, it wasn't a flasher. You know, everyone else had their Vexlars and their Markums and their hummingbirds out there. It was great. I had this old piece of junk Lorenz I took out of a boat. It was a seven inch Lorenz. It was, I don't ancient. It was the first seven inch they ever made. Bought an ice transducer for it, put it in the hole. And all my buddies had flashers and I always caught the most fish. And my other buddies were way hardcore ice fishermen than me. So they said, how are you catching all those fish? And I said, well, look at my screen. I did three jigs up and held it. And the fish approached, and then I lifted it three feet, and it didn't eat. So the next time, I did three jigs up, held it, and lifted it up two feet, and it bit. Or I lifted it up a foot, and then jiggled it again, and lifted it up another foot. So I had a history to tell me why they bit. So And all they had was a flasher. And they had, we had fish coming in. Well, they didn't remember what their cadence was. The cadence was this. And I was, I was able to look back at my screen as it was paging by. After on the right side of the screen was the live view of it. Well, then I had the history behind it. It's like the old Lowrance paper charts. I mean, it's so amazing. We could talk about that for two hours. But it, the history thing is so amazing. Like, you pass something. You see it, what's around it, everything. The 360 can throw you for a loop you see the fish and you start casting at it you're not looking at anything else you you know what i mean you're they're there but i think i you you got to have the side image that's step number one it doesn't matter if you have lowrance garmin hummingbird 360 hummingbird mega live imaging it doesn't matter you have the number one tool you have in your boat is the side imaging we saw that last year fishing with a couple guys with garmin stuff Oh, we're, we're casting this. Well, let's drive by with the hummingbird. Oh, it's not even a fish. You can't see it unless you have the mega imaging. The mega side imaging is your number one tool first. You have to have that, which is great because that's the graph you need anyway to be compatible with the 360. But if you got, I mean, if you really want to be, see what's in front of you, if you want to fish new lakes, you should get a 360. It's amazing to, to see what's in front of you, the weed lines, the sand, pockets in the weeds before you get there. You, you can't screw up. If you pay attention, you can't screw up your boat control anymore. That's the fun part about it. I think it's for any kind of fishing. It's, it's, I've been watching a bunch of YouTube fishing shows from Europe, predator fight, pike fight, and perch fight. 
this amazing fisherman. And it's funny, the teams that are winning have the 360 mega. It's, it's uh, awesome. They're finding perch on these, you know, and we're talking big, the biggest tournament in Sweden, and they're winning because they have the 360. So it's, it's very cool to watch it all. And some of the sharp shooting stuff, uh, they catch huge zanders, which are like giant walleyes. And the guys that win it now are fishing open water with Garmin um, live scope because they're able to cast, you know, find that thing. And that's why when the hummingbird thing and the other guys with the 360 are also sharp shooting them, putting an icon on them and positioning themselves right. So it's super cool to see all this new technology and how guys are using it. But it definitely ups your game. But to go to a new lake and fish fish it perfectly is really fun. It, it, to me, boat control is the most important thing of fishing. I mean, just give me my three favorite baits, and I'll catch more fish than you because I'll run my boat better. That's how I always feel. That's how my dad raised me. He always told me since I was a little kid, it doesn't matter what bait you have on. It matters how you run your boat. So that's how I grew up. That's what I believe in. And to have this tool now that it's unbelievable. And I, I had an eight-foot power pole for three years, and I got the 15-foot tail last year. Wow. I mean, that is really fun. You can put that thing down when you got a fish in the net. You can, and then you're sitting there, look over at three sixty and see three other fish around. You don't even have to lift the talent up. It's kind of gotten ridiculous at this point, but it's so much fun. I think people don't realize how much, and a lot of these guys, I mean, we have a lot of sand in Minnesota. I don't fish it in Wisconsin very much. I don't, I just went to Iowa the other day. There's tons of sand there. It was, it was awesome. I mean, you can see every fish they can't hide anymore. It's, it's going to change fishing at the same time. If, if you don't have it, then you're, you're blowing it because it definitely changes everything. It's really fun. So I guess for a quick sum up, do you have any questions, Jeff, or anything before I? No, the one thing that's kind of nice when we get you on the podcast, it's pretty easy, Brad. And I just have to kick back and throw a couple questions at you and <laughs> you just let her rip for an hour and a half. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sorry. No, it's all good. It's it's not like it's uh, you know terrible information. It's just you're very thorough and you cover a lot of the details, and that's good. Makes my job easy. Makes Brad's job even easier because he's got to sit there right next to you usually. Yeah, that's all right. He's laughing. He's okay. That's good. Um, but yeah, so I guess as far as if you're if you're straight musky fish, if you want to fish new lakes or fish the lake you fish now, and never worry about bumping into a weed again or worrying about bow control, it might be the best bow control tool I've ever seen. And I've, I've always said it, Jeff. I mean, how many times have I said it in the podcast? Bow control is still, it, it's so key. And, you know, the, the neat thing, I mean, Matt said it, his dad taught him that how many years ago. I honestly think that, you know, some of your best walleye fishermen become the best muskie fishermen Plain and simple because of boat control. Walleye fishermen think about boat control. And what he's saying there is, is truly, truly, it's the real deal. It really is. Because if you know where that weed line is and you're not crashing upon it, guess what? You're going to fish it properly. And when you fish it properly, you are putting yourself in position to actually catch fish. Yeah. And then 360 really changes everything. If there's a fish on the outside of that weed edge in front of your boat and you were already getting a little close because the wind's pounding into that weed line, and now with that upgraded puck, you throw the icon on that fish, you make you make sure, I mean, guys, with the wind at our backs, we can cast these baits 180 feet, no problem. People think we can only cast 50 feet. You guys put the rings on their graph, their casting rings. Go into a 100-foot pole barn and throw your 10-foot musky rod. You'll hit the back wall without even trying. So you cast an almost 240 feet with the wind at your back. That's not a thing. And these guys are running spots 20 feet from the weed edges. It's not a good idea. Brad shaking his head. He knows. He fishes deeper weed lines than I do. So you see that fish in front of you. Let's say you fish an 11-foot weed line, and that fish is out 10 feet in front of the weed line. It's 10 feet in front of your boat. That's like you going into the figure eight. You're on top of the fish. You're blowing it. So you swing out 80 feet away from that fish, not 20 feet like everybody else. You swing 80 fish. 80 feet away from it. And with 360, now you already have an icon on the fish. So now you can, you're able to say it didn't bite. Everyone else already ran it over. You actually had a way better chance of catching it. 
But now the cool thing is the 360 gave you that icon and you didn't scare the fish. You can get the icon on your side imaging and come back later if you crash the fish. You're still going to see it on your side imaging. But now you've seen it, avoided the fish. Now you can circle back, fish it inside out. Fish it from that side, didn't bite. Fish it from that side, it didn't bite. A lot of times it's all about the angle. I don't even change bait. Just change the angle. They follow. That's the angle they want. That's the angle you come back at major. Simple stuff like that. Like that fish wants it from that way with the wind this direction. And we're, we guide on the lake, so it's, it's easier for us because we're out there so much. But that's the kind of stuff guys should think about. That's when I learned how to muck the fish. If I would have had a 360, I mean, it's amazing. I had to learn all that the hard way. It took me eight years to learn all that. Oh, there's a fish there, but they only bite from one direction. Well, I wish I would have known that. <laughs> You know, so it's super fun that way. It's such a great tool, and I don't think people utilize it. And the great thing about the 360 is it's not a side imaging transducer, which is the biggest problem in fishing. That's why we made that video a couple years ago or last year, whatever it was, about how to mount the side imaging transducer, which obviously people are watching. I think it was like 40,000 views on YouTube last time I checked. I don't even know where it is is right now. But But it was really high. I looked a couple weeks ago somebody put it on Facebook and I saw it on there and I didn't realize it was that many views. I wish I would have got more questions about it, but then a few people have sent me messages about it, but none of these marinas, well, I shouldn't say none. Most marinas don't rig them right. Like 99% <laughs> don't rig them right. So you're, you're kind of, a lot of people have this stuff and they don't realize what they have in their boat. It's such an amazing tool. It changes your whole fishing. You fish completely different. And, the bummer is most of these guys are eating this up and then they can't go, they go out in their boat and can't see anything. So that's a huge problem. So that's another great thing about the 360. You put it in the water and it works. I have noticed though, the 360 isn't the, the way we rig the side imaging transducer. If you have open water fish swimming with their backs almost out of the water, we can see them. You cannot see them on the 360. So, that is one of the downsides, but we are seeing fish in two feet of water on side imaging. So you're for sure getting a foot and a half below the surface on the 360 mega imaging. Which is a job. I mean, if you think about it, there's... Yeah, that's pretty much all you need. I'm a... Yeah. My favorite time to use electronics is in open water, so that's one of my key things I need. There's a time and a place. I mean, if you think about it, there's not many times where those fish have their fins sticking out of the water. No, no, it's a weak, but it's the best bite of the open bite. So yep. to me, that's important. It's always the end, end of the open water bite when every single fish in the lake is out there. Right. And everyone's wondering where every fish in the lake is right before the 4th of July. And you're crushing them in four inches of water and 100 feet of water. So that's important to me. But the 360 is an amazing tool that I think even it's so funny though with guys too I bought that universal mount so it doesn't go in the trolling motor every time so half the time I'm like this is a little spot I'm not going to put it in the water and I realized that I shouldn't do that because I realized how much things I've missed the times I do put it in the water so this year it's going to see a lot more time um, I got to the point where I was running and gunning on Vermilion last year granted the fish were in a foot of water on the rock so I didn't need it but then when I stopped at the weed bed I had just taken it off the side of the boat and laid it in the bottom. And I should have put it in because the next day I put it in the weed bed and realized there was 40 muskies around my boat and they were all behind me. And they were swimming away from the boat. And so I was not seeing them on my side imaging. So this was end of the summer on Vermilion, which is a super heavily pressured lake. So you got to, you need everything you can get on a lake like that. And the 360 provides that. So, and I'm not doing a 360 commercial. It just, it was really cool last year what I learned with it. There's my 360 deal. I was just checking out that video. It's actually got 47,000 views. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> Which one is that? That's fiberglass? The, that's the very first one. Yeah, I'm assuming, yeah, that would be the fiberglass one. I think the other one's got 30,000 views on it, though. 30, oh, cool. 30, 36,000. Nice. It's amazing. Well, I'm hopefully helping people. That'd be good. Hopefully, there's a lot, um, there's a lot of comments on there. We should actually go back and look at that stuff once in a while, Brad. <laughs> it might be good. That one video's yeah. got more comments than my entire team. I know Dor's YouTube channel has had over the history of it. 
that's pretty wild. That's um, funny. But again, that kind of goes back to what I said in the beginning of this. You know, I mean, Matt provides a ton of information. And I mean, if you jump in the boat with him, he doesn't hold back. I mean, if you have a question, he's going to answer it. So he's elevated my game. I know that he will elevate anybody's game. So, I mean, if you have questions about any of the bird stuff, and he's worked with it all. Garmin, he's worked with Lawrence. Um, he's a bird guy, but at the end of the day, he can answer a lot of those questions. All right, Matt. Well, we kind of got a little off topic tonight. Not off topic. We got a little long-winded, I'll say. We got a little off topic with the stocking. That really wasn't the path we were planning to go down, but, you know, it happens sometimes when we're winging it. We don't exactly read off a script here. But uh, a lot of good information about um, electronics tonight. I think what we're going to do, Matt, is we wanted to hit on some actual fishing. Not that electronics aren't fishing information, but we're talking about, we want to talk to get trolling and open water and a few other things. So, why don't we just uh, shoot into another episode for next week? We'll do a part two with you next week. But for this week, why don't why don't you tell people how to get in touch with you if they're interested in in booking a trip with you this year? Yeah, no problem. I would text me first. My cell is six five one three five seven eight seven zero nine. Text is for sure the best way. Otherwise, Matt Seifert on Facebook Messenger would work or uh musky mercenary guide service on instagram that would be the best way i know we got off track too by the way jeff but that was good i think stocking is an important thing to talk about too you know not enough guys put it in perspective but that's it's very important part of the fishery so but yeah let's let's uh let's do another one actually talk about catching fish yeah let's do that so we want to thank everybody for coming out and listening to us this week ramble talking about fishing one, uh, we're one week closer to musky season in the Midwest. I know there's a ton of people out fishing for them already, but one week closer. And uh, we uh, thank everybody again for listening, and we'll catch everybody again next week. <laughs>